It's a season three launch of the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. This is your host, Dubs Weinblatt, and I'm so pumped to be here with you today. You know, last year we were able to have an in-person event uh, where we uh, had musical guests and an in-person interview uh, for the launch, which was an incredible, incredible moment. Uh, and unfortunately, we are not able to replicate that this year um, due to the pandemic. But I am so excited about the episodes that we have lined up for you this season. Uh, we have new lightning round questions. Um, and we're also going to be introducing a new segment of the show uh, where we want to hear from you. We want to know your story because your story matters. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to learn more details. Thank you so much for being here. And of course, thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is a little different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, which means we're not in the studio together and we are, uh, so we're not in the same room and we're using Zoom audio, but we are all just doing the best we can with what we have. And I am so super duper pumped about our guest that we have here today, Dr. Kyle Myers, they, them, and she, her pronouns, is a sociologist, an award-winning educator, and a globally recognized advocate for gender-creative parenting. Since 2016, Kyle has been speaking and writing about gender-creative parenting and using their own parenting story to help the world learn about and embrace a new type of childhood. Kyle, welcome. Thanks for having me, Dubs. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here. How are, so you're, you are across the world right now. Tell us where I you are. Am. I am in Australia. I'm in a city called Canberra. It's the capital of Australia on Ngunnawal country. Amazing. And what brings you, what brought you to Australia? So my partner Brent is Australian and we actually met in Australia when I was on vacation here in 2014. And so we have always, we've been living in Utah in the U.S. The, our entire relationship. Um, but we've always wanted to be in Australia, like with his family and the pandemic kind of expedited those plans because Australia is doing a really incredible job managing COVID-19. And so we just in May of 2020 decided let's go now. So we, we moved here in November and we'll be here for a year and then come back to the States probably. It's exciting. And will you go back to Utah? I think so. Now that I've been out, I, I don't know. It's it's just been very, it's just been very eye-opening to be out of the United States and to be out of Utah and to see how different things can be. Um, our life and our family, you know, is in Utah. So I definitely think that Utah will be like a base camp for, for a lot of our life, but I don't know. I, there's got to be better places, you know, when it comes to like living a queer life um, than Utah. I mean, Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we'll come there. 
Yeah. Well, at least come and say hello. Yes, please. Um, so, okay. So we, we all have multiple coming out stories and, and multiple coming into ourselves stories. Um, so I would love it if you would share one of your experiences with us. Yeah. So I officially started coming out to myself and my family and my friends when I was 21, um, as like, as queer, I mean, bisexual is how I came out, um, 13 years ago. Now that I'm older and very confident and aware of my sexuality and becoming more aware and confident of my gender, I can look back on my life and see that I have always been queer. I just didn't have the language or cultural support or possibility models Mm. to even know what queer really was or could be. So I just did not have the framework growing up to understand myself as queer, um, And I think it's important to mention that I was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as Mormons, and the church is pretty notoriously known for its strict gender binary ideology and explicit homophobia. So I grew up in small rural towns in Oregon and Utah, where the majority of the population was white and Mormon, and that had a huge impact on how I was taught about gender and sexuality. So I was about nine when I first started having romantic feelings for girls, but that was also the same age that I started learning homophobia from my teachers and church leadership and community. And so even though I had crushes on boys and girls, I was really naive because Mormon kids and especially girls aren't taught about sex or relationships in a healthy or empowering way. Um, And I didn't know anyone who was openly queer growing up. I knew of people who were rumored to be queer, not even out. And I watched them be completely ostracized from their families and community. And so because I was also attracted to boys and certainly had internalized homophobia from being raised in that culture, I just bottled up my queerness and performed as an exclusively straight girl all through adolescence. And I have a really vivid memory of being about 16 and watching music videos on MTV in my living room. And my dad came in because he could hear the Backstreet Boys were on and we were watching the Everybody Backstreet's Back music video. All right. Such a tune. tune. (laughs) And my dad casually said, I'd go gay for that Kevin one. And I think I like let out a little laugh, but my brain was also like short circuiting, trying to understand what just happened. Like, I didn't think that my dad was coming out to me, but it was the first time in my 16 years of life that I got a glimpse into my dad's thoughts about like, quote unquote, gay issues. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he signaled that he was an ally and not a raging homophobe, but that is what was so shit about my childhood is that I either heard blatant homophobic comments or silence. Like I didn't know anyone who was an out queer or even an out ally, Um, which is wild. I mean, I know that that's not completely uncommon, but I, I, I just didn't, I just didn't have any queer narrative at all um, until after I graduated high school, when I was 17, there was like this four years that was kind of an interesting sexual experience because I had sex for the first time with a guy when I was 19 and my sexual confidence and like prowess with men kind of shot through the roof in those first few years. Like I'd left the church and I was feeling really like 
positive about sexuality, but while I was killing it with guys, I was having encounters with women where I like was choking up. Like I didn't even know how to begin a romantic or sexual relationship with them. And I remember one time I was like 20, I was living in England and I like went out with this woman and we went, we were like having drinks and went to a concert and all of the buses and trains stopped. And so I went back to her house and she was totally trying it on with me. Like I can see in hindsight, but I just had this like invisible, I don't know, biphobic barrier like up that she, she may as well have been like talking to me in a foreign language, you know, like she was giving me all these signs, but like, I couldn't compute them. And, and I felt so, I started feeling so insecure about it. I think like, it was like, I just didn't know how to um, engage with women or, you know, people who weren't cis men. And like, after I got back from England, I enrolled in college in Southern Utah. I was taking classes with other students who kept saying homophobic stuff. And I just wanted out of Utah and out of that culture. Mind you, at this time, I'm thinking of myself as an ally and like not an actual queer person. And I went to Riverside Community College in California where I met my friend Tara, who was like the first out and amazing lesbian person that I got to really know. So my best friend's a lesbian. She's taking me to queer bars. She's taking me to protests against the Proposition 8 ballot initiative to prohibit same-sex marriage in California. She's introducing me to like queer and trans community. And I'm finally learning queer history in college from these incredible academics. And it just clicked one day at a Prop 8 protest where I realized I'm not here as an ally for gay rights. Like I am here as a bisexual woman Oh my God. You know, you know, and it was just, it was a lot to kind of take in of like, oh, my rights are on the table. My future relationships are being voted on. And then it all kind of started falling into place where I was able to start consciously doing the work of like unpacking my upbringing and that internalized homophobia and starting to like explore my desires. So I emailed my parents and was like, yo, I'm bisexual and I just want to put that out there in, in Gmail. And ever mm -hmm. since then, I've been just trying to authentically like have relationships with people of a variety of genders and really trying to live in a way that feels genuine. And I tried on the pansexual label for a bit. And when I came to understand everything was so much more than a binary. And then I found the term queer many years ago and I tried that on and it it has felt so, so cozy and right to me for years. And so now that I'm a parent, I'm intentionally trying to give my own kid a completely different type of childhood than I had where I can teach them, where I can teach Zoomer about sexuality and queerness and polyamory and diverse family structures in really loving and affirming ways. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you bring up so many really great points that I want to kind of start to, to elaborate on with you because they're really important. Um, one of which is one of the first things that you're saying is you didn't have the language or the support or the possibility models um, and the framework to understand yourself. And so um I had you think of a ring of keys moment, um, which mm -hmm. is for folks who are listening, who don't know it's, it's pulled from the, the 
graphic novel slash musical on Broadway, Fun Home. Um, and it's a moment when small Allison um, is in a cafe with um, her dad and a butch lesbian comes in and she is just like, bre- her breath is taken away. And she's like, who is this? And like, sees a sense of possibility, sees that framework for the first time. Um, and so take it away. What's your, what's your mm. ring of keys moment? Um, I love that concept. And after you had told me about it, I found like the music video, the, mm. the, not the music video, but like the video from like the, the Broadway, you know, fun house play of like the little Allison singing it is great. Um, and so thank you for bringing that concept to my awareness. And yes. It was fun to think about. Um, sad to think about in, in the way that like, I just didn't have that moment as a child. There was just nobody, or if there was anybody, I couldn't see them, you know, cause like I didn't have that perspective. Um, mm-hmm. but I know that I would say my first ring of keys moment was when I was about 23, like not long after coming out, not long after figuring it out. Um, it, my first and most powerful possibility model or to bring a keys moment. Um, it was Elizabeth Clement, who is a history professor of mine at the University of Utah. And she is a lesbian, a powerhouse PhD. She's a parent. She's funny as hell. She's so smart. She'd like bike to campus. And she was on the front lines of caring for community with HIV and AIDS in the 80s. And New York. And like, she just didn't give a fuck about like traditional expectations of femininity. And I was just, and still am mesmerized by her. I wanted to be her. And it was the first time like that I got to become, get to know somebody, you know, who was queer and out and living this incredible life because I had this 16 week semester, you know, of learning from her and, and just learning so much more than history of early American women, you know, from her, like, and I'm so grateful for that, right? Like to have, to have had someone out and proud and successful and fantastic to witness for a semester and really help see some possibilities for myself. Yeah. Have you told her that? Yeah, I think she knows that, but maybe mm. I'll be much more like explicit about it and let her, I'll share this. I'll send this podcast to her and I'll be like, listen to minute 11 through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just, she, she has just, has been a mentor to me in so many ways. Like I was just kind of this country bumpkin rocking up to university, just had just really didn't appreciate, like totally appreciate education yet, because I just don't think as a Mormon girl, you're socialized to value education because that's not what your destiny is. Your destiny is to be a wife and a mother. And so I was just in this early stage of just kind of feeling betrayed by my culture, but also trying to like forge my own path and not do it in a bittersweet way. And or a jaded way rather. And she was just the first professor who I met who saw like a spark of potential in me academically and was like, girl, let's teach you a thesis statement. Like what that means, you know, like she just Mm -hmm. really took me under her wing and, and mentored me and like shepherded me through my gender studies degree. And then she was the one who like, kind of like pulled me aside and was like, you have what it takes to, to, to go all the way, you know, in with a PhD, if that's something that interests you, I just, 
in case you need to hear it, I, you know, as an academic believe that you have what it takes. And so she was instrumental in helping me get into graduate school. You, you know, so I just, I just have her to thank in, in so many aspects of, of opening up my mind to what I could be, you know, an academic, a unapologetic queer person. Like it's Elizabeth Clement, love her. We love you, Elizabeth. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for coming out, Elizabeth. Let's get her on the podcast. (laughs) You should. Oh, she's a force. Please do. Please do. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, So I want to, I'm just thinking about, I read this in the, in the book that you wrote, Raising Them, and I'm, I had it in my notes and I'm glad you brought it up too, about the, the Backstreet Boys moment with your dad. And I think it's so, I don't know, I, my brain would have short-circuited too of like, wait, what? Because I also Mm -hmm. was always on the lookout for those clues of like, is this a safe person I can come to? Because I, I, for myself, like I knew that I was now I'll use the words I use now, like a queer person, but like from age zero, like Mm. didn't have the language to talk about it. Didn't again, have the the frameworks like you were saying. Um, But I knew one that I was attracted to women um, even, even if it wasn't sexual, it was like, I know my family will look different and here, like, you know, like mm-hmm. just like that in that way, um, didn't also realize I was struggling with gender identity, but I would be searching for those safe people of, is mm-hmm. anyone saying anything that's like helpful for, for me to try to find who I am? And the answer is mostly no. <laughs> and so to have a parent say, you know, an, an offhanded joke, but that's like so huge. Mm. That's really big. Yeah. Well, and I don't even think I was, um, I think what is, I like what you said and it. Like, I didn't even, I wasn't even looking for things, you know, because it's just like, I don't know, like it it was just so far in the back of my mind. Right. Because I was able to kind of like have crushes and whatever on boys and stuff, but it was, I think that's why it's so vivid. I mean, it's half of my life ago. Right. And I can just remember that moment. And I think, right. Like, it was my queer little brain, like looking for something or else it wouldn't have stuck so much, you know, mm-hmm. in my mind is so, so powerful and meaningful. Um, and it just, to me, it is, it, it solidifies how important it is for parents to not have like this complicit silence, right? Like you being silent on the matter doesn't make you safe or make you an ally. Like you have to be vocal about, your thoughts, your feelings, you know, like, because your kids are looking for it. Kids are looking for it, you know? So yeah, it was, it was, who knew? Thank you, Kevin from the Backstreet Boys for like helping start a relationship and a conversation with my father about my queerness. (laughs) Seriously. Amazing. Um, I I know Brian Luttrell is problematic these days, um, but I passed him in a hall once and I like, I recognized him but not from Backstreet Boys of like, this person is so like, I know this person. (laughs) And then I was like staring and then like enough so that I turned around to to, like, look at him and he turned to look back at me. That's how much I was staring. And then, and then we parted ways and I was like, oh, that was a Backstreet Boy. (laughs) It was the 13 year old in me was like, holy shit. (laughs) Um, anyways, that good times. (laughs) Um, 
I'm trying to find there's a I took a note I took copious notes and I didn't organize organize them as well as I wanted to but um there was a part in the, so you wrote a, so you wrote a book called Raising Them and it's um talking about your experience as a gender creative parent um so is there like a quick like like synopsis you want to give with that, give to us and then I think that'll help like keep talking about giving giving us another framework for what we're talking about sure so I, um, I have a child named Zoomer who was born in 2016. And when Zoomer was born, um, my partner and I decided not to assign a gender to Zoomer. So instead of saying like, we have a girl, we have a boy, like we just like, we have a baby. We want, um, Zoomer to tell us, you know, who Zoomer is. And so we also used, so we didn't assign a gender. We didn't talk about Zoomer's reproductive anatomy to anybody who didn't need to know. And we used they, them pronouns from the start and all just like holding space for Zoomer to be able to like claim a gender identity and let us know what pronouns fit best um, when they were ready. And right around Zoomer's fourth birthday, he was like, I am a boy and I love he, him pronouns. And we were like, we love this for you. And, and, you know, and so really he's, he's almost five, he'll be five next month. And so right? Like, I I think it's really important to acknowledge and celebrate and affirm his gender. Um, But there was this first few years where I just did not have once again, this like possibility models. I just didn't know many people who were doing this. I knew of a few people who were doing it, but they weren't public advocates for it. Um, And I just felt really compelled to be talking about it and trying to help, um, make it accessible to people like the reasons why we were doing gender creative parenting, which is twofold. One, I know a lot of non-binary intersex trans people. Yeah. And then like, and my, I myself, you know, like came out as gender queer after having Zoomer. Um, but I just wanted to not make any assumptions about what my kid's gender would be. And turns out like kids don't need assigned genders as much as our culture likes to think they do. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of it was as a sociologist, um, I'm trained in population level health, like science, and just this thing that came up over and over again in disparities, health disparities, economic disparities, social disparities is gender and not right. Like bodies as much as socialization, right? Like these like expectations and limitations that we put on people's bodies in a really binary and terrible way. And that has a lot of harmful implications. And so I just wanted to protect my kid from gender stereotypes and gender-based oppression and violence, right? Like as long as I possibly could. And so those were the main reasons of why I did it. And then I wrote raising them, um, when Zoomer was like in between like two and three and a half years old is when I wrote Raising Them. And it's a memoir to just put out so that people could understand our experience, right? It's one family's experience with doing this, but I hope provides some little like pearls of of questions and thoughts, you know, for people who might want to incorporate it into their own life. Yeah, this book is so, so good. And it's first, it's so funny and it's raw and it's real and it's inspiring and just like so warm and inviting. And I want to gift it to every person in the world because cool. it's just, it feels like required reading, especially when you want, if someone wants to become a parent mm-hmm. of, even if, even if a parent, even if parents decide that this isn't the route for them, just reading it and getting a framework and a sense of 
you know, options <laughs> and mm. is just, it just feels so important. Um, Thanks for so, saying that. That means a lot to me, Dubs. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for, for writing it. And for, um, it's just, it's such a, so I like keep wanting like to hug it. Cause it's just yeah. like, <laughs> it's just so good. Um, oh. so there's, um, something, so something you, you said in your, it was actually it was in your Ted talk <laughs> that, that like really resonated with me. Um, and so thinking, um, one of the things that you said was that kids, um, they deserve never to hear the words that's not for boys and that's not for girls. And that just like really struck me because one of my first ever memories was, um, when I was, I think I was two or three and I was in preschool and I was sitting in a chair, like a, a little chair, but we had a, me and my friends had like flipped it and we're straddling it. So like picture like AC Slater with like his arms up, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, but we were like pretending it was a motorcycle. We were three years old and we were pretending. And my mm-hmm. teacher said, little girls don't sit that way. Mm. And I remember being like, like, you know how, you know, I'm three, but I'm like, is she talking to me? What does that mean? Why am I different? That doesn't, that doesn't feel right. And then like, she said it again. And it's like that, you know, that like warm wash of shame and embarrassment Mm. where it's like, I remember feeling that it was so visceral. And so it was like filed away of, okay, well now this is like a thing I can't do anymore because I don't ever want to feel this way again. I'm humiliated and I don't understand like, how am I different? And I don't know that people, I don't know that adults really realize the impact of their words and the impact of putting those stereotypes onto kiddos. Like that was mm-hmm. life-changing for me in a very bad way. <laughs> totally. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And, and you're, you're so right. I don't think that adults recognize the impact that they're having on the way children are their brains, right? Like the way they're learning about gender. Cause that's what we do. We're learning about gender from the, the adults and the peers and the media in our life and just how, what a weird thing to say, right? Yeah. Like, cause you, you know, like, well, that's weird because my body is doing this, right? Children's bodies are so similar and not different. Right. And that like what your teacher was trying to put on you was this like, feminine ideal, right. Of like, and that's just so terrible. And it's had this, these lifelong effects, right? Like these little kids brains hold on to something and it it's helping form the way they're thinking about the world and the feelings that they have based on that. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And that's exactly what I think gender creative parenting is about, or gender creative education or gender creative healthcare or whatever is just grownups have to to recognize what they are saying and the impact it has on kids and i think unfortunately so many people think gender is so innate and you know natural and these binaries this like biological essentialism is just like latches mm-hmm. on to the way boys and girls and men and women are meant to be that like they don't even realize that they have the control to change the narrative and disrupt sexism you know in Mm -hmm. disrupt these stereotypes and embrace you know diversity and I just I hate that that happened to you and I hate that that happens to kids today right every single kid 
today is hearing something like that in their childhood. Yeah, it's, I think um, it's, it's so, it makes, it makes me sad because I, you know, the work that I do, but like, um, so my day job is working at a, a Jewish queer nonprofit, working with Jewish institutions on building more affirming spaces for LGBTQ people. And it, and it's solely because I felt so on the fringes and on the outside of my Jewish community growing up and all my communities, but specifically my Jewish ones. And I don't want ever want a kid or an adult, frankly, to feel the way that I felt. So I have dedicated every inch of my time to trying, you know, to, to make it better, um, and that's what you're doing. So you wrote this book and you are sharing your story widely and you have a very comprehensive website and a blog that is so clear and so easy, easily accessible. Um, and I just, I feel like it's like a gush fest, but just like so appreciative of, of you taking the time to educate people because it is fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. <laughs> and I think even, you know, it's, it's this, labor, you know, it's this emotional and physical, like just spiritual. I mean, it's just exhausting labor of, of putting it out there. But I genuinely feel like if we can crack this code, if we can stop as humans, right? Like trying to box people in so much into these, like this gender binary or the sexuality binary, like I just, I I truly think we could unlock something in human potential if we would just stop worrying so much about gender stereotypes, right? And like who, what is for who and who can do what and blah, blah. Like I just, I mean, people might think it's like this really, really niche thing that I'm focusing on, but I just, I've, I've experienced it myself, like in my own relationship where we're trying to liberate ourselves from these gender norms and how wonderful of a life experience that I can have, you know, because I'm not chained to gendered ideas. And, you know, it just makes me wonder like what we could do as a species if we would just get over this gendered bullshit. Oh, I really want to know. I truly, (laughs) Uh, because I think you're right. I think something would unlock and it's like, okay, we can focus on so many I think about that so much of like if we if I wasn't like fighting this every day what could I be spending my energy on like I love what I do and I love talking with people and learning their stories and teaching and seeing those aha moments and really and witnessing people their light bulb go off Mm -hmm. and being like I get it I never thought but now I get it Mm -hmm. and it's those moments where it's like okay but like but what could I be doing if I wasn't having to teach people what would you do what would you do like what would you do in like this parallel universe where you get to just like be this incredible dubs that, you you know, that's just completely affirmed, like that everybody understands gender and sexuality, how you do, right? Like we're all on the same page. What would you do? My God, I don't even know. I would probably write. Mm. Just, I don't even know what I would write because that's all I write about (laughs) too. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I have to think about it. What would you, what would you do? That's a great question. I, I mean, I don't, it's hard, it's hard to imagine because I, I just see myself like moving on to like a different social justice totally. issue. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so I would, yeah. you know, like, uh, would it be climate change? You know, like, mm-hmm. like what would my, you know, would it be like ethical economy? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, 
I just want, like, that's the thing that I wonder. I wonder like if, if our, if we weren't, you know, if there wasn't so much racism and sexism and white supremacy and nationalism and classism, right? Like what could we, who could we be? And I, I'm like reading young adult novels to try to like get some insight of who, you know, these authors think Mm. we could be and who these like queer protagonists think we could be as some kind of like escapism, I guess, because I just, it does, it makes me sad. I feel like we're completely limited as a species because of all of these biases that we hold and perpetuate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, so many people don't realize what, folks carry around when they hold a marginalized identity and kind of like that baseline I had I went to the OBGYN last week and which is like as a genderqueer person that is normally a very like dysphoric triggering time but I went to Callan Lord which is like an LGBTQ affirming health center and so I went there for the first time for this kind of appointment and it was so it was wild because I went in and the doctor immediately was like, my, I'm, I forget what their name was. I'm my name, my pronouns are they, them. What are your pronouns? And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like mm. that would never happen in OBGYN. Mm. And all of the like, uh, there were no like posters that were saying like female anatomy. And like, mm. I think people don't understand the implications of that for folks. And right. um, so anyways, like throughout this appointment, um, like minimizing exam time and offering me to do certain things so they didn't have to like be intrusive gave me heads up before every single part of the procedure mm-hmm. as a way of like clear communication and getting consent before touching me in certain anywhere. And like that, any other OBGYN I've been to is like, I trust me, I have a point for this, but like, just like rip your legs open and like gut get in there. And it's like, hello, that is not trauma informed. That is not how this should be done but that's how it always is at least in my experience Mm. so anyways so I leave and I'm like feeling so good I've never left an OBGYN feeling good and I would then I was like debriefing with a friend later and I was like is this what it feels like to just like have an experience and not have to worry about my gender and like the answer is yes yes and isn't that like it should just be like that, right? Like yeah. it, it's not like that doctor or that provider, you know, like their job was so much harder. They just like know how to provide a like person-centered care. Yeah. And it's and that like, should be the norm and not the, you know, exception. Totally. And so I, it's just, so that, that was one instance of my day, you know? And then like, but then I'm like mammed in the subway and, so I, so this is all to say is if I had energy to not worry about those things, what would I be doing? I don't know. Mm. Um, I think I'd be running like a bed and breakfast in Costa Rica or something. Ooh, that sounds so nice. Yeah. Just like come and like sleep in and like eat yummy food and like go on a little jungle walk. <laughs> that sounds great. Read a book. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, and then, so then I would spend my time being a guest yes, and just eating and sitting that'd, that'd by the beach <laughs> and I wouldn't have to worry about anything else. Um, I want to talk about assumptions because I think that comes up a lot in the book and there's just so many things that there's, it's such a juicy like topic. 
Um, the one of the first things that I noticed in the book is um, you removed all gender assumptions when talking about people. And the one that that stuck out to me the most was when you were talking about breast or chest feeding. And like that might not seem like a big deal to some people, but that's a huge deal to someone who, you know, I mean, that's just it's I'm I'm speechless because so few people are thinking about the implications of saying breastfeeding when talking about um, having a baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I just really appreciated the intention and the thought when you set, when you talk about people. Mm. Oh, well, I I think it's an, it, it comes from two, two major places, I guess, like, like, especially during the time of writing that book, like I, am in community with so many people who have birthed and fed babies from their bodies who do not identify with this, you know, these terms of like motherhood, womanhood, breast, like that's just not the words that they use to describe their body and their experience. And so I think just being in community with them and, and, being friends with them, you know, and hearing their frustration. Like I just pay attention. I paid attention Mm -hmm. in the Facebook group for people who are raising kids with they, them pronouns from the start, you know, people saying I'm chest feeding and it's like, Oh, boop, you know, and I'm just like, I'm making a note to myself of like, okay, people are using this term chest feeding or body feeding. And, you know, and it was just like, it is remiss of me to not, you know, be trying to like help people like introduce these concepts to other people who maybe don't have a non-binary friend in their life, you know, who is a parent. And so I think that just actually loving people who use these terms, you know, helped put it into my mind and makes a lot of sense. And I also just, I just don't like gendered terminology because it just is not inclusive. Mm -hmm. But a second part of it is Um, during the time that I was writing the book, I was a faculty member at the university of Utah in the department of obstetrics and gynecology Mm. and, and trying, I mean, every single day, you know, marching this like queer gender inclusive march and, and just constantly being up against, you know, like, okay, we're going to like change, we're going to change our name from OBGYN to like women's and children's services. And it's like, that is going back in time, decades and decades and decades. Why on earth would you do that? We're like the university of Utah is also home to one of the best, like transgender health clinics in the nation. What the hell? You you know, like I just, Mm. I hated that. And it just, it, again, right. It was just like, I should not be having to spend my time on this. Haven't we moved ahead? Like, of course there have been trans and non-binary people. And and of course there have been people who have babies here who are not going to parent that baby. Can we not, you know, can we move away from this like divine motherhood thing? So like, I just think it was these, these two experiences of seeing the trauma and this, these bullshit experiences that my friends were experiencing and, and them communicating to me. And then also being a person within this institution that like could not fight against it hard enough. Like, you know, I just, I don't know. I just think that we have to be talking about it. And if you saw like in this last week, there's a UK hospital who has like made the policy to have like their postpartum unit is entirely like gender inclusive language. And it's mm. amazing. So like that's that. happening. And it's like creating all of this hullabaloo of like, 
you know, as you would expect, you know, like the media to be saying about it. But but I love that this UK hospital is like, nope, like we have people who birth here who are not women and their experiences are meaningful and they deserve to be recognized. And like, and our staff need to be using language that centers their experience as well. I mean, it was just like, it's great. So I think that that's the direction that we're headed. And as far as like gender inclusive or gender neutral language goes, I just think it's going to be totally normalized in like five years time, just like they, them pronouns is really normalized now you, you know i mean as as far as in relation to 2016 when i was mm. you know trying to tell people you know we're using they them pronouns for our kid until they tell us what pronouns fit them best and they're like i don't know that's for two or more people i don't you know <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. you use they them pronouns in the singular all of the time mm-hmm. all you the know, time that person someone left their sunglasses here i hope they come back and get them you know like knock it off you're being disrespectful you're so cisgender and privileged (laughs) yeah get out of here yes (laughs) um in the trainings that i do that's exactly what i it's like almost verbatim it's like you were in a training i'm like someone left their wallet is it two people's wallet no (laughs) and like sometimes sometimes i get a little sassy because it's like come on already people like yeah well, I was a linguistics major. Okay, yeah. first of all, that was like 30 years ago. And second of all, language evolves. So yeah, the program. And third of all, <laughs> like the gender neutral, like was also there, you know, when you were studying linguistics, pal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare. So yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah it's um, kind of going back to you. You had talked about, um, I'm not, I'm going to like, we're going to come back to assumptions in a second, but I think what, what, I've noticed so much is that people like they a lot of times they have good intentions, but they don't think about the impact, whether it's with assumptions or when it's with language. Um, And I'm just thinking about there was a you uh, in your in the book, you talk about having. um, I loved the way that you responded to your sister um, when she said, do you think I'm a bad mom? Uh, Because. I'm, because ra- your sister was raising your children or her children with a gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just were, you were just so um, like, no, like I've learned so much from you and I, now I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't, you didn't judge your sister, but it's like, that's mm-hmm. not what I'm doing. Right. 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 Holding space for the reality that we have different values, right? Like as people, we have different values and backgrounds and information and that feeds into how we live our lives Mm -hmm. and how we parent our children, you know, and that I don't have all the answers, you know, and like, I'm making adjustments and figuring this out as I go for sure. Um, but no, I like, I, I just as much as I don't want somebody to come to me and tell me like what you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely not in any place to make those types of judgments to other people. Yeah, I am. Um, I think I'm in a space right now where, so I, I love this, this book. I need my, my family to read because I have tried to like explain to them exactly what you're explaining in this book. And I just don't have, I'm not like, as well-versed in it as you are. Um, but I, there's a book called Once a Girl, Always a Boy. Um, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of it. It's by Joe Ivester. 
And she, in, in partnership with her son, Jeremy, who's a trans man, they write the, the, the story of his life, basically, from the point of view of everyone in the family. And I was like, I really wanted my family to read this because it, like, it just gives the perspective of everybody. And um, which is really helpful because it's always just been like, it's almost like they don't believe, it's almost like they believe me, but that it's only me that like it, that my, that like my experiences of like being gendered and are, are, are specific to me and they can't, it's, it's hard for them to see that it's, um, does that make sense? Like hmm. that the lessons that they've learned from me cannot be applied to other people. And so mm-hmm. it was like very affirming. So I did a, I did a, an interview with Joe for work. And so people could watch. And basically Joe was like, if I could go back in time and raise Jeremy without a gender, I would. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> Cause it's like my, And again, like my sister has two kids and she is like the best mom I've ever met in my life, Mm -hmm. but is raising and is raising her kids um, with a gender. And I keep trying to explain that you can be as open, you can be as open as you, as you are. And, you know, I have bought them so many books and they have kids, they have uh, teddy bears with they, them pronouns and all of this good stuff. But it's those stereotypes that, that like you, you put it so clearly in the book, like the crawling um, experiment and like the, the moms underestimating their daughters and overestimating their sons. And it's because we have these ingrained assumptions about what genders can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And so um, now I'm just rambling, but I just, it. Um, no, but I think you're, I think you're right. I think we've, you know, I think you're touching on some of the things that I would think are the most important key points of like gender creative parenting or this idea or practice of disrupting this like intergenerational transmission of like sexism and stereotypes and the binary and in a language that's huge, right? For like the language that you're giving someone, the language that you're like narrating the world for your kid in how we talked about and then assumptions, right? Like the assumptions that you are making, like, are you teaching your child that certain cues are making you assume certain things about someone else or right. Or like right. how you were taught about gender or sexuality, make you assume certain things that like, and how often we're wrong in our assumptions, you know, yeah. like how often we, we try to like, just quickly size up somebody, right? Like of just how often we assume that because someone looks like this, then they must be this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got to start disrupting that. And I think that we can by first being conscious that we do it, right? right. And acknowledging that we do it. And then, and then as soon as you're aware that you do it, then you can catch yourself when you do it and you can rewire your brain. I really think that you can't, like I have done it personally. I know that Mm -hmm. you can unlearn assumptions or even if you still have assumptions, like I still have assumptions, of course, but I can catch them quicker, right? Like Mm -hmm. before the assumption in my brain comes out of my mouth as words, or, or if it does come out of my mouth as words that I can go, whoops, I actually don't know that person's gender, you know, they went to go and get the coffees and just like that kind of stuff of just 
just, we have assumptions for human. It's the way I think our brain, you know, is kind of wired to do, you know, it's like make these quick decisions, but trying to, um, recognize how harmful it is when we make these quick decisions and judgments about, about people's entire identities and and experiences. Yeah. Um, which just goes back to, you know, no one like, you know, most people don't have a malicious intent, but it's that impact that actually it was what sticks with people is that mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm always, I feel like I'm always slightly on edge of my seat and like, just like, wait, like if I know someone's about to address me, I'm like, I really hope they get my pronouns right. Mm-hmm. And if they do, I'm like, Oof. and if they don't, it's like, well, then what are they going to do next? It's like, mm-hmm. cause we're, we're humans. We make mistakes. Like I'm not saying that everyone has to be perfect always, but it's that recognition of, oops, I did it. I'm sorry, they move on. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's, it, it's a process, but you know, we didn't know what emoji was 20 years ago, but everyone does now. So, yeah. you know, um, so, so think, so, so going back to assumptions and, you know, just making assumptions about um, what a kiddo's gender is. Um, and so you, you mentioned that um, you came out as genderqueer after having Zoomer. Um, and, um, so how is that, how, if at all, how has that, um, affected your relationship with Brent and, um, yeah, tell, tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. When I had, when I was pregnant with Zoomer and like, you know, just new, a new parent, I, I did identify as like a cisgender woman through that experience. I was still irked a lot throughout the experience of pregnancy and like new parenthood um, because there it's just, it's such a gendered experience. You, you know, it's such a cisgendered norm and such a straight experience. And so that was hard um, to feel like my body was being policed by other people. And like, people felt like they had the like authority to tell me what I could and couldn't do. That was really hard, but I don't think that it was, that was more tied up in just like this, this bullshit of oppression of, of female bodies, right? Like of, of bodies that can reproduce. And that was but, in quotes for everyone who can't see. Yeah. That was <laughs> yes. big air quotes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> female bodies. Yeah. The, the, my divine motherhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing I wanted to do gender creative parenting, I knew I wanted to do gender creative parenting when I was like a gender studies undergrad years before I ever met Brent. It was just like, I can't see myself parenting in this traditional way of just like putting my kid on this like social conveyor belt that like I can see the future of that I've been on that conveyor belt and it's garbage and I don't want that for my kid you know so yeah I knew that that would be the way that I would parent and it would be the only way that I would parent. And so when I met Brent, you know, we kind of got started getting serious and we started talking about the idea, you know, of like having a family. I was like, just so you know, this is the only way I see myself parenting. Are are you in or you out? You know? And he was like, I am in, I mean, he needed some like, you know, education, but he, he understood the concept from the get go. You know, he Mm. was just like, you're telling me that we could raise our kid in a way that affords them all of the opportunities of life, you know, like, of course I'm in. So he was on board. We got pregnant. We had Zoomer. Like we always knew we were going to do this. We had these conversations with our family, you know, and our coworkers and stuff throughout. And then having Zoomer and like 
activating that gender creative parenting switch of like trying to be so conscious about how my child is coming to understand gender and sexuality and you know all of that it was impossible for me to not internalize right the work that I was doing for zoomer like in the process of trying to make sure zoomer never got tangled up in the chains of the gender binary I started going like these chains are mighty uncomfortable right you know Mm -hmm. and I think like wiggling out of them and inspecting them and and then really doing this inventory I think of my personality and my interests and my behavior and you know and my thought processes and like and my assumptions about people and it was just like I mean it's really really hard work to do in your 30s of like what is real and what is what was prescribed to me you know Mm -hmm. but the more I was doing it I was just like I I don't believe in the binary you know like I don't believe in it and why if it was, and if it was created tomorrow and people were like, hello, we have this binary, you know, are you a man? Are you a woman? I would opt the fuck out, you know, like I wouldn't have done it. And so I think it's, it, it, it can be some mental gymnastics to be in your thirties, this like, you know, fully baked adult human and going, Oh, I need to like, I need to backtrack here and kind of how do I want the next 30 years to go? And, yeah. and so in that, I think it was just like doing a lot of trying different things. Like, you know, I've been shaving my legs since I was nine years old. I'm going to not do that for a while and see, you know, how that goes. And like, I've been, ha- you know, I get complimented on my long, beautiful, thick hair. I'm going to cut that off, you know, yep. like, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, and then I realized like, oh, like my hair is actually so thick. It is not that great short. And I'm going to need to grow that out. <laughs> <laughs> But now, you know, (laughs) yeah, but now I know, you know, and I know that I actually do like armpit hair sometimes. And I like, I really like it in the winter and I do like shaving it in the summer. You know, I just, it's just all these different things, but also like different pronouns of just like, like Brent, she, her doesn't feel like done for me, you know, like I I like they, them, you know, and, and, and then, and then the insecurities that I had around that, you know, of like you married Kyle, the woman you knew Kyle, the woman was queer and that had, you know, and like really wasn't interested in like monogamy forever and, and things. So, so I just think he was also, he was so loving and kind, you know, it was like, of course, like I'm a gender creative dad. Like, of course you can change your pronouns. Of course you can do whatever you want with your wardrobe or your body or your hair. Like, whatever, you know, like, like Brent was said all the right things. And I think he genuinely means them of like, I didn't expect you to never change from 2014 Kyle in the way that I hope you don't think that I was going to stay the same always. Right. And that there could be room for gender wandering to be a part of that, which I don't think a lot of people have, you, you know, like, unfortunately in relationships, but Brent was like, if this is what's going to make you feel happy, like I want to be here for this. And so it's been good, but it's also like, there's these imposter things that come up also with like being someone, you know, like the biphobia. There's also this like non-binary phobia, you know, of like, am I, am I gender queer enough? Because I do, you you know, like, like I hate that. I hate that there's this like 
the spectrum, right. Of like, am I queer enough? Am I gender queer enough? It, like, right. And like, do I have to distance myself away from things that I like because they might be too feminine? I mean, just, it's a, it's a, I don't It's, it's kind of a, it's a mind fuck, but one that I think actually has so much liberation in it too. Right. And I'm glad that I'm in this, but it's, it's wild. You think you know something, you know, and then you start diving deeper and you realize actually how complicated it is and how socialized you were, you know, into some pretty archaic stuff. Yeah. If that makes any sense. <laughs> it makes a hundred percent sense. <laughs> it really, it really does. Um, I learned the word genderqueer when I was 29 and I was like, oh, now life makes sense. Now yeah. it makes, like, I had no idea what anything was before that and just felt like I was like a floating head, just like, I don't know where I belong. Nothing matters. And then once I figured it out that I did not belong on the binary, I was like, oh, it's like, so, and it, and like you said, like a fully baked human, it is so fucking hard to, to take inventory, to use your words, like to go back and be like, like in, in the, in the path of returning to myself, it's like, what is true? Yeah. What is, what is it? And it's like, yeah. but also like how exciting to like yeah. find these new things about myself. And, um, but, but truly like that, that idea of, am I X enough is so real. That comes up in almost every conversation. Is it, am I gay enough? Am I bi enough? Am I trans enough? Um, and I also have, have felt that way. I, I started tea in July because leading up to that, I was like, am I trans enough? Am I like, and just like had all of this internalized transphobia around what it means to be on T, but also a gender queer person and not a trans man. Mm-hmm. And like, is that, can I do that? And then the answer is yes, because yeah. that's what would affirm me. But yes. like not knowing many people who've done that is scary because mm-hmm. again, it's, there's like not as many frameworks out there to like learn from or to mm-hmm. see what's possible. Mm-hmm. And that's changing, which is like, like social media has been so wonderful for yeah. me to be able to find community in all different ways, like to be able to find this gender creative parenting community and learn so much from each other and like kind of find shared language and tactics and strategies and laugh through some things, you know, and also be able to have a community to say like, well, I don't totally have this figured out yet. Is that, does that make me, does that delegitimize, you know, like me believing this is the right thing to do and to have people say like, of course not. Right. Like you don't have to just like go and find another box that you neatly fit into. Like, because that's what like our social script tells us we need. Like I had a really great little conversation with some people just on like the Facebook group. I was like, has any, is anyone else like be through parenting this way? Did it like break your brain and now you're just wandering around the gender spectrum <laughs> like you know and they're like oh yeah I'm totally a gender wanderer now you know and it's like mm. oh good 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 you, you know like I'm not alone right and like I don't have to I don't have to like plant my flag in some other place along the gender spectrum to to know that what I'm doing if it feels right to me is the right thing to do yeah absolutely I love that idea of gender wanderer that's great yeah 
Yeah. Um, I know we're, we're coming up on time, but I have a question because I feel like when I've tried to teach this in, in trainings that I do, and when I try to talk about gender creative parenting, um, in all of the times that I try to talk about it, some of the pushback that I get, and I'm curious if you get this and how you respond to it of, <clears throat> first of all, people say like, you can't raise your kid trans. And I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that's number one. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being trans. So if I were, you, anyways, right. I digress. Um, almost like, is there an opposite effect by, by not raising a kid in one of the two binary genders and letting them um, tell us who they are? Is there like an opposite effect of like them not having enough information or I, I don't know if I'm articulating it mm. as no, well as I, but so do you get that? And how do you respond to it? I think that that's a good, I think that that's a good question. And I even think about it now, like with, you know, Zoomer almost being five, like, I wonder, like, did I go hard enough on like, on like making sure he knew everything there was, you, you know, like there was to know, like, like, I, I'm not like, I have arrived and I did every single thing perfectly, you know, cause like mm-hmm. no one can say that. What I what I think happens from my observations now in like my five years of doing parenting is kids learn about gender from everything, right? Like they're learning about gender from their parents, their family, their caregivers, their extended family, their siblings, they're learning about gender from their teachers and their peers. And however, you've got no control over how did that your, the teacher's parents teach them about gender? How did your, the, these peers, right? Like, so that they're learning about gender from the media, they're learning about gender, like they're just learning about gender from every day, from just hundreds of angles. Right. And so I think that while totally I can see the influence of um, Zoomer's friends like come into play and like what he thinks about gender, all I can do is, which I don't think is any different than like a parent who assigned a gender to their kid, right? Like a, a conscious, whatever, progressive, feminist, equitable parent is just like, I can provide a counter narration, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I do find myself often being like, um, okay, like your little three and a half year old friend, James doesn't know more than like your parent who's a PhD in sociology. Like, let me break this <laughs> down for you of like why glitter is not just for girls. <laughs> you know, like just that kind yeah. of stuff, you know? <laughs> so I, I like to think that the way I parented didn't leave Zoomer floating, right? Like having no framework for gender. What I did was just added to the binary ideas that he was learning from everywhere else, right? Like, so we would be watching Nickelodeon and a TV show would be like, all right, boys and girls. And I would just take the moment to go and non-binary pals and intersex friends. And, you know, like just, just, just trying every chance I could to show him that there was more than the binary, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think that that leaves kids floating, having no idea what does gender mean. I think what it does is it teaches kids from day dot that gender is so much more than a binary, contrary to what a lot of people are going to be, you know, like the media or your friends or whatever, like they might be saying things like boys and girls a lot, but I can see now that I have like reap what I've sown of 
Zoomer talks about intersex people, non-binary people, understands like that not all kids have a mommy and a daddy, right? Like just understands gender in the nuanced realistic way that it actually is experienced, you know, by so many people that's not a binary. And so, right. Like I have no idea. It's, 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 even though I've done gender creative parenting, I still can't go, I can't untangle zoomer, right. I can't untangle zoomers personality or his interests and and be like, well, you got that from Netflix. You got that from me, You, you know, but you can just see this like mosaic, right. Of the five years of his life. And I do think it's so much more gender creative and queer and beautiful and disrupting of sexism and than it would have been if I would have assigned a gender and just like let him be socialized as one of two genders his entire life. If that makes sense, right? Like if I had an, if I had another baby tomorrow, I would do it again. I would do gender creative parenting again because I can see like, you are a different kid, I think, than you would have been because I can see all your little friends and you're different to them in really advanced gendered ways. I mean, and not just gender, right? It's not the single issue thing. Like we talk about racism, we talk about indigenous people, we talk about classism, we talk about mental health, we talk about, you know, like incarceration and homelessness. Like, I guess, I guess one of the different things about me as a parent is just like, we can talk about big things in age appropriate ways with kids in ways that I think a lot of people like our generation, we were not. Mm-hmm. Kids get it. Kids are smart. They sure can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you for, for the mini lesson. I appreciate it. <laughs> mm. um, well, time will tell, right? Like, I mean, you know, when Zoomer is like 14, like, Zoomer will be able to be like, you fucked up or like you did great. Thanks. You know, (laughs) I don't know, you know, like time will tell, but from what I, from my experience and from, from knowing a hundred other families who are doing this, the kids are all right. Yeah, I think so. Um, That's beautiful. And a perfect segue into our last segment, which is a lightning round of questions. Um, That's just meant to be fun. Um, the first two seasons, my questions were all either or questions, and I got gently called in on how binary that was. So these are all <laughs> open-ended except one because I couldn't not ask it. Um, okay. So if you could name your crayon, what would you name it? This is not lightning round at all. And so if I could <laughs> name a crayon, what would mm-hmm. I name it? Yeah. Gender Wanderer. Ugh best (laughs) (laughs) favorite time of day morning like early morning favorite current queer media representation um i'm reading um a YA novel called once in future and it's more queer than hetero and that's refreshing yes that would be um what is a song that makes your heart soar Oh, Latch by Disclosure and Sam Smith. Hmm. I don't know. And Let Me Think About It. Have you heard the song Let Me Think About It by Ida Kaur? It was like the first bop that would play over and over again when I like started going to queer bars in 2008. So that Mm. makes my heart sore. Amazing. Excuse me. Uh, Favorite way to travel? Hmm. 
bike favorite short distances (laughs) yeah uh favorite quote oh i feel like you just get into such uh cheesy territory here i like cheese okay well here's it is super cheesy but my favorite quote is like you have to be the change that you want in the world that's so good um okay bagels or donuts bagels that is the correct answer (laughs) (laughs) nice um so where can folks find you on social media where can we buy the book how can we get in touch with you so I'm on Instagram at Kyle underscore Myers and it's K-Y-L um, underscore M-Y-E-R-S. Um, and my website, kylemyers.com is, has kind of like all of the things that I do and I'm on and you can find links to books. Um, the, I mean, the books are everywhere. Like I would say, I would plead, I would ask that people try to support local book bookshops, like especially queer owned and black owned bookshops, just they can get my book. So if you want to order raising them through them, otherwise, like it's affordable on Amazon and, you know, people can get it wherever, or just, if you don't have money, go to the library. I get all my books from the library. <laughs> yeah. But I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that it's, it's resonating with people and it is, an honor to, to hear that our story is being used to help introduce the concept of gender creative parenting to people's families and for non-binary kids or like having their parents read it with them to like start a dialogue. And it kind of helps take some of like that educational labor off of these people. And I just, it has been one of my greatest pleasures to put this story out in the world. That's amazing. Um, for anyone listening, the first three people who DM me, I'll buy you a copy. So DM me, Dubs Weinblatt, and I'll buy you a copy of this book. Um, Kyle, thank you so much. This was such a lovely, lovely conversation. Oh, thanks for having me, Dubs. It was really delightful. Thank yes, you. Yes, my pleasure. And thank you for coming out. Oh, always. <laughs> Thank you for coming out. Hey everyone, it's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at Thank You For Coming Out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.